Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. As we've talked about the last couple shows here, we're in dark times financially in this country. Uh, we got a guy here that'll hopefully answer some of our questions today. Uh, he hosts Big Technology Podcast. Alex Kantrowitz, welcome to the show again. Thank you. You were here before, yeah, it's and now you're back. here in person, and it's it's weird because you're smaller in person. Yeah, I'm pretty short. So what do you what do you what are you bumping up against right now? Five four? No, come on. I, I don't know. Five four. I mean, look, five four. If you're five four, that's devastatingly short. That's I'm sorry what to all Giorgio the short is. Out there. Yeah. Listen, Giorgio. So Giorgio knows the struggle. If you're five four, it's difficult to go through life like that. It sure is. I'm five six and three quarters. Okay, so I'm I'm almost five seven. And, you're, you're and kissing me, five seven. Out of, out of short it. people, that's fairly tall. You're almost as tall as a liver king. That's uh, well, true. And, and you know what? Everything. This is completely natural. No HGH. <laughs> you're a liar. I promise. <laughs> I watched you walk in, dude. You're all bowed up. You're flexed, dude. Listen, I, I will reveal the secrets behind my workout. <laughs> That's what you're here to yeah. You're not here to talk about uh, banks collapsing or big tech. No. You're here to talk about your steroid cocktail. That's right. No, he's, got right. A, he's got a suitcase full of bull testicles out in the lobby. Over there. <laughs> no, and they're going to unleash yeah. all in here, and we've got to start are, eating bull yeah. testicles. If, hey, if you want to get big, dude. Is that your assistant, by the way? That's my security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, oh, sorry, we're talking about bull testicles less than two minutes in, but welcome to Drinking Bros. <laughs> we listened I on the apologize. way in, so I was like, here's a flavor of what this show is. Here you go. That was yeah. a responsible sorry. move on your part to give her, like, kind of inoculate her to this nonsense a little I bit. I know, and it's like, how is this a top 50 show in the world? These guys are fucking morons. She's now got natural immunity to our bullshit. That's true. It's a great way to put it. That, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, first of all, what are you doing in town? <laughs> South by Southwest? I'm here for South by, that's right. Did you give a, a speech? Yeah, I was here on a panel talking about the direct-to-consumer business. No shit. Yeah. Uh, what's so the you, answer? Uh, it's it's in a tough moment right now. But you <laughs> guys weird, are in right? it, right? You have your own your own merch, your own mm. alcohol. We are. And I'd say yeah. what, like if you've listened to the show in the past, uh, and this is, again, part of the reason why we wanted to come on, is we, we try to keep the audience informed and be honest about everything we do. So, yes, uh, the D2C direct-to-consumer uh, model for the seltzer, for example, uh, we don't make any money off of that. You know, it's like... You know, couple dollars per case or whatever because shipping is so expensive exactly i would imagine everybody else is probably going through the same problem as we are uh regarding that right that's why we're trying to get into brick and mortar so the the topic of the whole discussion was is direct to consumer debt and i've been on the side of yes it's dead or it's in, in trouble and one of the things that's happened so i don't know if you guys have this is probably made in the usa knowing you guys and understanding that's a beverage but yep. most of these companies are importing from china and pre-pandemic, to bring a container in from China cost $2,000. After the, or mid-pandemic and towards the end, it was costing anybody importing $20,000 a container, unless you were like a massive brand. Holy shit. So you're Even import- the massive brands were in to yes. ten to 15000 a container range. Exactly. God, so those, yeah. those $2 that you were making on a case, <laughs> okay. all of a sudden DTC brands were losing a dollar or two. Right. And they had to get through this. Moment. So things are starting to look up. You know, the, the cost to import is, has come down significantly. Advertising on Facebook is starting to work for a lot of people, but it's still a very tough business to be in. Well, let's start with the, the advertising on Facebook. Okay. You're not the first one that's, that's told us that. To me, as a consumer, podcasts um, have kind of taken over 
most of our social media space, I feel like, besides TikTok, I don't feel like people use Facebook that much. I don't feel like people use Instagram all that much really anymore um, as far as like who's cool, right? Well, yes. Because everybody's buying check marks and all that stuff. So it's like, all right, some dick with fucking 200 followers is now a blue check mark guy. And you're just like, all right, great. Uh, whereas I would rather, me personally, just turn on a podcast rather than going to somebody's social media space. Why are people still going to Facebook? For us, we only spend time on there in private groups that are Drinking Bros and Drinking Bros communities. Yep. I haven't looked at my personal feed and I don't even fucking know. Okay, so my personal experience reflects yours exactly. So first of all, before I started Big Technology, I was at BuzzFeed. And BuzzFeed was all about working on the social internet. That was the way that we thought a publishing business was meant to operate. I quit, started my own company, went independent. With Big Technology, it's podcast, like you guys, Big Technology mm -hmm. Podcast, and newsletter, because I want to go to people who are actually asking for things versus have mm -hmm. a, an algorithm push. So, And I think that you're right. Like My personal feed is a lot more empty than, than I thought you know, it was going to be seeing how powerful Facebook and Instagram were. But I'll say this. So I sat down with Kevin Sistrom, who is the founder of Instagram, yesterday. Okay. And we met in 2016 for the first time. Back then, Instagram was 500 million monthly active users. Uh -huh. Today, 2.3 billion monthly active users. So from the time that Instagram was cool, 2016, now it's mass market, but it's four times the size. So even if you're having less of an enthusiastic group of people, that thing is still extremely powerful. Well, why is it suggesting other people's feeds for me that I don't want to see, nor do I care about, if it was extremely successful? Typically, you'd go on the app, and whoever you're following, that shows up in my feed this is a mistake. in a row. This mm -hmm. is a mistake that a lot of people trying to analyze tech and tech algorithms make, and it's that <clears throat> inside the algorithm, whatever content it decides to put in front of you, you think that yes is the right answer, meaning I wanted to see that. But that's not the case, right? Yes and no are both valuable, especially if you're on a platform that's designed to fucking rake in advertising dollars. Because now I know what you like and what you don't like. You understand the difference there? Yeah. So they've inconvenienced you a little bit, but just that much, a flick of the thumb, while gathering useful data from you. you okay. I mean? That's why it's done. But aren't you worried about pissing off your users? Because for Did me, you know what he just said I, from the point it was cool until now when it's like, ah, Instagram sucks. Now it's been, uh, almost a six multiplier. No, no, their, I, I, I understand, but it also is just getting out to the rest of the world. Actually, almost um, a seven, excuse me. Yeah. Because it, look, in some places it didn't exist. <laughs> They've clearly expanded and everything else. Uh, as far as who's got the algorithm dialed in, in my opinion, on all of social media platforms, it's TikTok. That's right. So, so here's the deal. So there's these two things that, that social media looks like, look at, right? There's stated preference. This is what I want to follow. And that's when you follow people or you follow your interests and revealed preference. That's what you actually want to follow, right? So like maybe, fight videos. Exactly. Or, yeah. or feet. And, you know, you look at a foot. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird turn. Show you Just a, for the a, audience's right, sake, we were, talking, feet picks. we were yeah. talking about <laughs> wiki feet before the show. He didn't just randomly bring up <laughs> okay. feet. Just exactly. Just Rex Ryan. Yeah. So, yeah. So, look, if, if you're, you're not going to tell the app you want to look at feet, but maybe you do. And by showing you feet, you're going to be like, I don't want to look at this. But maybe one out of every 10 users do want to look at it. And that's why you're going to end up, these algorithms are going to end up getting you content that's that's more attuned to what you want, and they're going to show you the weird things every now and again just to figure out what's going to happen. I'm going to have to burn my phone now. It's right. listening to everything we said. I'm going to have 50 feet <laughs> feeds in my, in my algorithm So, now. But just to go back to your point in terms of like is TikTok going to win or is Instagram going to win, this is the thing that's going to happen from here. Every single app, you're looking at Instagram, you're looking at YouTube, you're looking at TikTok, even Spotify, Twitter. Uh, Kevin Sistrom, the founder of Instagram, he has a news, new news app called Artifact. 
Okay. They're all going to look the same. Every single app now is going to have a for you feed and a following feed. Yep. Like you saw Elon, what was the first thing he did when he took Twitter over? For you feed, following feed, because that's where things are going. Yeah. And they're all going to homogenize. They're going to look exactly the same. And I think that what's going to happen is we're going to have one app that's going to really figure it out and be the one that takes over and the rest are going to fall apart. And I do think that Twi- that TikTok does have that lead. And uh, and it's going to be war between them and everybody else to figure out who ends up being the one app to rule them all. Especially if uh, if an American company does end up buying TikTok, right, right, right. Because back and forth with the legal bullshit, nothing's actually happened yet, except for I guess it's banned on government phones, but that's been it so far. But yeah, I, I agree with you on that. That's that's one hundred percent right. Only- the the problem with the homogeneity homogeneity is that. Um, how do you distinguish your value proposition? You know what I mean? It'll be, I guess at least it'll be interesting to see which one wins and why. Right. Based on how things are going, it's probably not going to be one that I like. And the other part to this, and I'm sorry to, to, to gangbang you like this, but you brought up feet picks. <laughs> yeah. So I figure we can at least yeah, throw that fun. in the mix. Um, is you're using the same content for all of these apps. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause nobody could possibly make different content for that many apps all day long. We do the same thing. We have a social media department that cuts our clips for us. It goes on TikTok. It goes on Instagram Reels. It goes on fucking you know uh, YouTube now because YouTube is is trying to become TikTok as well. We just had a meeting with them and they were like, "Put up the clips." You know, a live show where they dinged us for for having crazy guests on here and whatever else. We're lucky to get fifteen thousand views on it, right? Uh, but. We start chopping up the shorts, same fucking videos we put on Instagram. Uh, just in the last week alone, it says 1.8 million. It's pretty incredible. I have the same thing <clears> with Big Technology Podcast. It's like you put the YouTube video on and that algorithm rewards you. And by the way, it's not just the algorithm. It's the user behavior also. It's the fact that people would much rather watch shorts than watch the longer videos. That's so true. you have just an opportunity to reach many more people. But with YouTube, they're losing money uh, and they're losing advertising dollars. If mm-hmm. everything is shorts. You can only put one, maybe 15-second ad tops before a short, and then it's over. Uh, the video that Dan had that went viral recently was 1.2 million views, and I think it was maybe 43 seconds. So where's your advertising dollars well, coming from if you can only put in one ad? So every part of the marketing funnel is important, from gaining the lead to converting the lead. More important, statistically speaking, than others, depending on where you are. And you, where you are will depend on what your strategy is, but understanding what you like and what kind of stuff you will click on is the most important part in my opinion right getting attention these days is pretty especially if you're a big company like google you can pay for attention you don't you don't have to go out of your way to get attention the next thing is grabbing the psychographic data and seeing how you're going to react to certain stimulus and stuff like that that's that's why facebook marketing was so great uh from the 2014 to 16 period because they were just full sale or a, a full scale stealing all of your data. Yep. Although half of it, you gave it to them on your own. Yeah, yeah. But there were no privacy protections back then. And they, they were just taking everything. And it was the most efficient period of digital marketing in American history. Right? I, and I understand that. And, and I understood the Facebook model. But Alex, how does YouTube monetize uh, shorts to, right. to the advertising of a long form podcast? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Because so, they, they told us on the phone, if you do a long form podcast, you're not going to get as many views as a short will. Absolutely. So here's the deal. Every time these networks or media companies introduce a new format, it takes some time for them to figure out the monetization side, right? You introduce something like short, like stories, for instance. There was a lag between that thing becoming as popular as it was and these companies figuring out how to make money off of it. So we're right now in the point where reels and TikToks have become popular. 
And now comes the monetization side. And I think there is one benefit of this homogenization, if you're the platform. It's that advertiser, advertisers are seeing that this is the way that people want to consume content, and they are dying to be in there. And the thing that makes advertising scale is standardization. So once they see that they can make one ad and it can go on platform A and platform B and platform C and platform D, they're in. And so the fact that you can now make it, just like you guys are making your clips and putting them on YouTube and TikTok and whatever it is, an advertiser in Madison Avenue says, okay, we, we figured out this formula that works. Now let's run it on TikTok and YouTube and, and Twitter even, right? Uh, and, and on Reels. And we'll put some real money behind it. Whereas before it was like that little sideshow TikTok where you could get a lot of views, but uh, you know, how far is our, is our effort really going to take us? Now your effort takes you a lot further because it's all over the place. But how do you justify that to the Google shareholders, for example, of, hey guys, I know we were making a shit ton of money off advertising mm-hmm. in the past. We're probably a year out from shorts catching up to mm-hmm. everything else. Well, maybe. Like the data that they collect from the shorts is being fed into uh, Google search engine, their search ad, right? So Google AdSense is the largest advertising platform on earth. More, more ads get sold there for more money than anywhere else. So like everything I learn about you, anytime you Google something now, I can feed you an ad based on that information. So it's not just about direct dollars and cents that come from the short itself. It's about how it feeds into the pipeline. If you remember correctly, they've lost money on Google ad ad since the last two years. It's gone down for the first time in their history, Uh both years in the last two years. They've been, they're not losing money, but they're getting paid less for search ads than they ever have before. And now this is, this makes a lot of sense, a way to get more data to feed into that because that search ad works. I mean, obviously Google search is the biggest in the world, but that search ad works so effectively because of the amount of data they have for your unique internet ID. That's why it's so effective, right? Okay. And Alex, if everybody is going to be the same and the same exact feed, all these social media platforms, who wins? Okay. That's a good question. By the way, I think I should just weigh in on, on this, um, this waiting for revenue and then I'll talk about the winner. Sure. If that's all right. Sure. So, Last century, the average company would last on the S&P 500 75 years. Now it's 15 years. So we're just moving at a much faster pace of innovation than ever before. And if, you go to, if you're a tech company and you go to Wall Street and, and you say, listen, we're going to basically milk our flagship product and let the other competitors come in and, and take over, and that might take 15 years, but we're going to make our money now, Wall Street will punish you relentlessly. And so what you have to do is always be reinventing. And Wall Street has come to understand that if you're a Google, for instance, you're going to prioritize putting that other product ahead of, ahead of your, your flagship because you know that it's a matter of life or death. The same thing with chatbots, by the way. Mm-hmm. You look at, at Bing, right? Google fell asleep at the wheel for five minutes. Now they have you know, their competitive, competitive search engine that everybody thought was a joke actually threatened their, their market share. So, um, so I think that that's why they're going to be able to go to Wall Street and be like, this is what we're doing, and, and Wall Street will generally be okay with it. Now, in terms of who wins, TikTok does seem to have a head start. And you look at a company like Meta, right, which has not only reels on Instagram, but they're doing it on Facebook, too. You're talking about billions of people that are putting content on there. I think eventually there's going to be a chance where they collect enough data. They have like really good machine learning folks inside the company. They collect enough data. They have enough users that they can give TikTok a run for their money. But if you told me to, okay, gut check right now, who's going to do it? Assuming no government intervention, I say TikTok. Right. Right. Um, and is it because people have not figured out that algorithm and who did it? Because to me, that's what separates it from everyone else. Uh, that algorithm on TikTok is 
something special. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. And I'm, I'm not a big social media guy whatsoever. But even I'll get sucked into videos there. And it's for whatever reason they know. And I barely use the platform. So why and how did they master and crack this code that nobody else could? So this is what I've heard. Can't confirm it yet. But I, okay. I think it comes from a credible enough source that I'm willing to talk about it. My understanding is TikTok indexes a much wider variety of videos. So, and actually I can, can like say this from my own experience. When I start posting on TikTok, the first few videos got so many views, like hundreds of thousands of views from the podcast. When I first started posting on Instagram, they got no views because Instagram wants you to build a little bit more credibility before they're, before they're going to push you out to everyone. So because TikTok is indexing such a wide variety of videos, they're much better at finding the better ones first. And they do it by farming out each video to a handful of their users and seeing how they respond by the data. So anyone who posted TikTok will know that there's kind of a step function there where you'll initially get like 10 views and then it will decide if you want if it wants to put you to 200. Then you get 200 and then it will decide if it wants to put you to 2,000. And then, because and there will be these like kind of lags in between where you're like, you'll be in the 200 bucket and the next thing you know, your video goes from like 200 to 10,000 yeah. in like 20 seconds yeah. and then just sits there. That and it sounds goes again. Like, that sounds a lot like YouTube's algorithm. So YouTube, this is the way they used to serve content. Um, they would serve it to 10% of your subscriber base immediately. Mm-hmm. And then based on how they reacted and how quickly they reacted, they would serve it to more and more. And then there was a, uh, a feed to put it on the, the main feed and all that stuff like that. But it seems like what TikTok is doing is this is going instead of 10% of your subscriber base, it's going to maybe let's say it's 10% of people who identified with that particular hashtag or whatever it is. Cause you remember uh, you've, you've been on, I don't, I don't have TikTok, but yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. There's 35 goddamn hashtags in every single right. one. Right. So it's like more data is making things more efficient yeah. essentially. Uh, but I, I think the strategy too, of serving it broader to the uh, psychographic affinity group than just your subscriber specifically is probably the, the smartest thing that they do discounting the followers yep. makes yep. a ton of sense yep yeah because mine i was on the it's idea. about the content not yeah, about rewarding exactly. people with right. big accounts it's about the content and right? there's yep. one thing that we haven't talked about here which i think is also important in terms of who's going to win is these <clears throat> companies go nowhere without creators like without you putting your stuff on youtube without you putting yourself on on instagram and tiktok you know that's a big big hit to these platforms <clears throat> if you as a creator decide you don't want to be there so i think there's going to be a demand side thing right which is all about the algorithm but the companies that figure out the supply side are going to be in really good shape. And that's why you've seen, that's why you have somebody on YouTube that will answer your phone calls, right? It's well, important. not really. I had to pay somebody. Well, so. exactly. Okay. Wink. So a cash underneath the table. Listen, the harder they make it for you to, to get in touch, that's going to be worse for their platform. And I think that you see that they're going through efforts, whether it's customer service or creator funds, where they're going to pay out money no matter if it's profitable <clears throat> for them or not. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently getting paid, full disclosure to the audience, uh, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm getting paid to post reels. Yeah. Um, so I get uh, tw- either twelve or 1800 a month, depending upon you know how well the videos do mm-hmm. or, or whatever, but it's a minimum of 1200 Now, I've got kids. That pays for preschool. You know what I'm saying? Like monthly, where it's like, great, I'll just post weird fucking videos. Sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with me whatsoever, but why pass on that money whereas tiktok isn't paying mm-hmm. uh youtube isn't paying for these yet is that gonna be something that happens in the future yeah i think they'll all they're all gonna realize that they're gonna need to pay for content now that 
would benefit everybody. Yeah. How, Correct. But, then I would be in. But how, <laughs> how's go. that going to look? Because YouTube's been doing that for a long time, and they've there've been peaks and valleys, and now they're pivoting to a new thing, right? So it's not necessarily just the best idea to put a CPM on a fucking download or view number and let it let it rip. You know what I mean? So there's going to be some strategy there. I don't know if it's going to be. Um, somebody like Twitter, like he wants to broaden their content creator and paid content content creator stuff. I don't know if it's somebody like uh, Elon or somebody else that does this, but bringing in some of the uh, uh, direct response ad agencies Mm -hmm. to link them up directly. Because on TikTok, the way to make money is to go to like Manscaped and say, hey, Manscaped, I'll make you a video. Here's how much my videos usually get. Here's my CPM. Give me money. And that's you got to do it all yourself, though, right? Right. If if that's somehow integrated into the platform or if it is integrated kind of shittily there tiktok does have a like almost like a beta version of that they they do but it sucks yeah yeah it does it sucks Um, ass and no nobody else does that very well specifically i think that's a big part of it and the other part i think would be to determine who the winner might be uh and this is what i would do if i had the money i would pay the top rate for your content right and then just part of the contract is a fucking three day blackout period or something like that. Whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be 72 hours. Well, it's, it's funny. It's, that you it's s- basically the deal that Trump has with true social, right? It's, it's funny that you said that. So I was on that model back in the day. Um, I come from a Hollywood background, I was doing movies and TV shows and all that stuff. Uh, with that, um, when the, the creation of funny or die happens, they were hiring comedic actors who in between movies would come and shoot these sketches. And then, uh, you you had the sketches on their sites, and then you could resell them to other sites after it was 30 days back then, which was a long time. Uh, but I was doing it. So uh, the next route for me after that, after I made those sketches, I sold them to a company called Break.com. Do you remember that company? No. Uh, that was the one that broke uh, Bo. Shit. Everybody loves that fucking guy. Bob, you know Bo it. Bo Burnham. That's it. Um, he was the one that was doing videos out of there, and then... You know, the feed kind of looked like uh, AFM, you know, America's Funniest Home Mm -hmm. Videos. And then they had seven on the page for the day. And then it switched over and went to everything else. And then that was 15 days. And then I could resell it to somebody else. And it went down the the line. Um, To Dan's point there, if if we're doing that, um, how fast and how quickly do you think that is around the corner for us? Uh, by the way, I like Dan's idea a lot. Like, that's a great idea. Well, you have to think about what people yeah. value right now and give them that value. What do people right now, the people that are content consumers on the internet, what do they value right now? They value having what they want right fucking now. It's something that's Whether new. it's Amazon yep. or DoorDash yep. or podcasts or whatever else, streaming on Netflix. I want it now and I want all of it right now. Yeah. And if you can put, if you can create any kind of delay between yourself and your competitors, you've won that game. Yep. Yeah. And my perspective is it is still a little bit away. I mean, YouTube just mm. uh, rolled out this broader sharing of revenue on shorts, and I'm on that. And Are I mean, you making money? No. Me neither. I think we, we're not making fucking <laughs> a dollar on the, YouTube. The, the revenue share on, the, on that thing is embarrassing. I feel like it's like two cents per thousand views oh, if you're lucky. I'll, I'll go ahead and read these live on air because uh, I, don't, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I um, was just looking for mine too. I can't find them. No, yeah, I'll, I'll read them to our, to our listeners here. So... Uh, here's how much 1.9 million views in the last 28 days uh, brought us in on YouTube, $552.76. Giorgio, how much does YouTube take out of that? 30%. No, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's our total revenue bring in because of uh, demonetization on stuff. But there's a specific place you can go to see where that sh- how much that short brought in by itself if you go down. 
Sorry. No, it's fine. I, I can pop it up. So, okay, Tanks great. Tanks are useful. Here we go. Tanks are useful. This $35. Is, uh, $35 for 1,050,000 views. So I think we have to take a different $35. look at this. Because like, they started with the creator fund, which is where they set a pool of money aside to give to people for shorts. And now they're moving into the ad revenue model, like he was saying here, where you're getting paid based on a CPM uh, basage. But this is also like recycled content for us. And we can pump out a lot of this content. Like, it's a 37 second video. It's, so it's way easier for a video of that length to rocket up to a million views. People are doom scrolling on their feed, trying to find a dopamine hit or find something they're interested in and catch them up quickly. They don't want to stay along and keep retention for that long because they want something else. They just want to keep feeding and recycling in a way. Um, yeah, whoever whoever wins these and finds a way to pay you the best money and and throw ads in in the middle or ads that look like shorts. So what I've seen a lot of success now from some of my creator friends is they're making brand content shorts for YouTube. Mm. Okay. So like they're getting hired by brands to make shorts that look like uh, popular TikToks or popular shorts that people are doing, but are based around brands. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. that's been going on for a while. But the platform doesn't want that. Right. They, they want to be the right. man. Yes. Not only that, that's not a good way for the platform to entice creators to be on. Because Correct. if they say you need to do the work and you need to sell for yourself, yeah. then that's actually going to be a disincentive to creators versus them just trying to pay. And I found mine. So I've had 173,000 views on my shorts okay. over the last 28 days. Okay. Small time, but it's a tech audience and uh, $13.72. Well, you're you're a third of what we made for a million, you know, million views on ours. So what the fuck? It's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are you you doing tonight? What time are you retiring? $13. Uh, I mean, we can all go out to the bar later. You think so on that 13? Put that in Bitcoin. I mean, you guys know there's some good happy hours in Austin. Ah, there's a couple. But I want to add something else. So you look at, I want to say like the, the bigger, more established tech channels like Linus Tech Tips or Unbox Therapy or something, they're recycling their content. I think they're making a little bit more. So it is about, is it about like using the views to then grow an audience and ramp yourself up to then drive them to your longer form content in a way to then monetize there. And then that will then that's, grow your short. Then that's that the hope for ours. Again. Yeah. That's, and that's what I said to the guy from YouTube. I said, <laughs> that would be the hope for us. But then so I said, I'm willing to put up my shorts. However, I hope this drives into the long form shows mm-hmm. and we get more, you know, and views on that and everything I honestly, else. If you look at our analytics, we've had huge growth in new user retention. So that's a metric that I love yeah. a lot is how many new users go and then come back for another video. Absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to raise for us quite a bit. And these shorts are getting us out to audiences that we never would have gotten to before. Yeah, right? I think and, the next step in that, so I think the next step in that is mid form content. So we have a 45 second video about us discussing tanks or whatever. Uh-huh. And then we clip the 10 minute video of the entire conversation. That would probably, that would probably convert more people than going to an hour and a half long podcast afterwards, to be honest. It's wild to me though, because you can put, you know, eight to 10 ads in a long form mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Advertisers are happy. Everybody's happy because I love watching video podcasts. Mm-hmm. And right now with my conversations with YouTube, they were like, Hey, that's our most successful. We're keeping people. And they were like, you guys are in the top 1% of all of YouTube in uh, an average watch time. Uh, I think Drinking Bros is averaging right around 35 minutes. That's, That's huge. Unbe- yes. They were like, dude, our our you know you, our norm is about seven minutes for a really good channel. Mm. Um, not that fucking long. And I was like, cool, man. But where's the money for that and everything else for that? And uh, they don't fucking care. They don't have care. answers. No. Yeah. So... That's, that's, that's my only worry with this. The other worry for me personally, and maybe you can answer this, is uh, over the years, and I got kids now, we're chopping down all this content, 30, 45 seconds, all these fucking platforms. Nobody wants to watch movies anymore. 
nobody want to, wants to watch TV shows anymore. They all want to watch this 35-second content and then just new 30-second content over and over and over again. Are we just creating this ADD society that is dependent on, oh, my God, I got on my phone and the next click and the next view and the next thing over and over and over again? That's depressing as well. Yes. Me. Yes. Yeah, we are. I mean, not helplessly so. Right. So that was the worry with Twitter, right, is that we are from a, someone who writes written stories, right? It's like, okay, so we're going to do these tweets in 140, 280 characters. No one's going to read an article. What it does is two things. First of all, it just mashes your brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yes. The other thing is it does create a little bit of a hunger that, okay, I've written, I've like gotten all these like little bites of information throughout the day. I haven't really learned much. <clears throat> I'm dying for a story that I can just sit down and read and tells me what's going on. I'm like that, but yep. are kids like that? You know, that's a good question. I, I hope that's where we're going to be. Same. But I'm not going to stand up here and say I'm, I'm optimistic. And actually, uh, this isn't you know a new insight for me. It comes from Tristan Harris, who's been looking at this stuff. But he looks at what happens in China, right? And in China, there's like internet shutdowns for certain hours that like no kids can use the internet during this time or whatever it is. And is it wild to say that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing? I mean, it's not. It, the, the, the reason why they're doing this is super smart. Right, because if no one's on a video game, let's say they shut down a video game yes. for a certain time, yeah, yeah, yeah. you actually have to go meet up with your friends, and that's actually where growth happens, where friendships really develop in deep ways. And, and Dan has talked about this yeah. uh, ad nauseum on this show about uh, getting away from human interaction <laughs> and everything else, and, uh, and I'm in the same boat. Last night, we did it. Um, my wife and I watched the Oscars. Mm-hmm. We're probably the only two that watched it because we're, you know, we, again, Hollywood background and all that stuff, and so we know some of the people, and a buddy of ours was nominated and all that stuff. We turned off our phones for three hours and just put them up there. I don't want to hear it buzz, ding, re- nothing. Yeah. And it, it was, it's unbelievably refreshing when you don't have to worry about anything going off. Kids are asleep, and I could en- just enjoy a three-hour program without any fucking interruptions whatsoever. But I, it's rare we do that or have uh, the capability to it yeah. uh, because we're running so many businesses here. And when you do it, it's so cool because you're like, oh, I can do this. Yes. And you, you feel like... When you have your phone on you, there's that anxiety of like, I'm sitting here, there was a lull in the conversation or they're talking and they're not talking to me. Let me just check right now. And when you have your phone in a different room or something, you actually learn that it's quite enjoyable to sit there and just be present. And I think that that if you keep your phone, you know, for instance, in a separate room or wherever um, and say, I'm going to have this dinner, no phone, or I'm going to have this, watch this movie, no phone. You really enjoy life a lot more. Yes, you do. (laughs) And Yeah. yeah. But you have to get to a certain point where you're comfortable enough to do that unless, exactly. you know, because most of us are. Or you can just create phones, the circumstances that require place. it, right? Yeah. Like I. Uh, We're working on it. Well, I commit a lot of crimes. Yes. And I don't take my phone with me when I do that because that's stupid. Correct. Right? So Correct. Yeah. Just build infrastructure inside of your own life where you get separation from those devices. Yeah. So whenever Dan murders, mm, they can't right. track him. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to find where he was. It's not like Alex Murdoch, you know? Right. Most murderers these days, they miss this one simple tip, which is that you can just leave your phone at home. And oh, it's, my God. Be in a lot better it, shape. Dude. Leave your fucking phone at home. Don't drive your own car with your GPS. No. Do you not understand that we're being monitored 24 hours a day? Now, and still, with yeah. all of that data, still only about 60, 55, 60% of murders get solved. Well, right? So TikTok, if you get caught, right, you're yeah. a fucking dummy, man. You, you might gotta... miss the latest TikTok, and you know, that would be a shame. <laughs> <laughs> would it? it? Would it? Do you Watch. know what my, my rabbit hole was the other night? What? Uh, what were you going to say? 
uh, just watching TikTok in jail, like uh, in Andrew Tate, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, like, I, I guarantee you, the only way they nobody ratted on that dude. I guarantee you, they just looked at his phone. Yeah, he's a fucking dummy. Easily, there's plenty of TikTok content creation from jail. I don't know if you guys have seen those. Speaking oh, of rabbit no. holes, no, those I'll go down that. So far, I almost made you want yeah. to download the app. But mine, I'm mine the other <laughs> night was uh, fat girls in uh, in rope swings, and it's mm. it's endless for me. I love it. And I never get tired of it. Uh, and I know the results every single time, but I'll get I'll get sucked in um, because because I do love it. What's the jail one? Yeah, people in prison uh, they have phones in and they that's elite. How, how do they get in the phones? Well, in? obviously it's contraband, but yes. they they make great TikToks. Are they? <laughs> and no are they like content creators? Exactly, Dan. Are they exactly. They dancing. The guards are in it too. Yeah, yeah. They're I mean, dancing? I, guess, I guess you got to do something in jail. Yes, literally, like like no. prison inmates and in, like groups of like in the orange or in the stripes, just hitting TikTok dances. Is and they're making money. Like, like I don't think they're well, getting views. Yeah, they're getting views. I don't know if they're making money. I yeah, I, but I understand it. Uh, who is the? I watched a dark documentary the other night on Jared Fogle, Subway guy. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's on, it's on Discovery+. Plus. It does sound dark. Yeesh. They got tapes of him talking really? about these kids, yeah. Mm. Super dark. Uh, either way, he, he was talking about uh, what jail is like and everything, and he's like, oh, man, football season's my favorite, you know, because we can gamble, we can watch, you know, the games every Sunday in college and all that stuff. Wait, he's, then, he's still in? Still in. And he's, he's got, doing he's the get documentary. Out 29. No, 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 he's not doing yeah. that. He wasn't involved with the documentary. Right. But sure wasn't. He wrote a letter to someone. In the New York Post, yeah. And it was published in the New York Post. And he's like, jail's not the best, but, you know, we pass time. We watch football. I read a lot. Like, it sounded like he was having a great time. I, it's, it was strange. And uh, and then the documentary, once you see it, it's... it's, yeah. it's there are also some TikToks that I've watched of people that are out of jail. And they kind of talk about, like... They do Q and A's with people in terms of like if you're a follower of them, you ask any question you can imagine, and they just describe in great detail like what the intake process is and what like your first few hours are like. Oh, really? Are, that's another rabbit hole for me. That's not bad. And look, I'm not against prisoners dancing together. Um, it's better than rape. So uh, you know, like that's fine. Didn't they do this on like season two of Arrested Development where they did a play for the prisoners or some shit? They were singing and dancing yeah, together. He was I put in. I remember him wearing like the bandana. Like oh yeah, it was Tobias. That's well, there's, yeah. Hey, there's another. There's a podcast that's big called Ear Hustle, and uh, they're top 200, uh, and they do it live from jail. Is it San Quentin? I'm not sure, but I forgot. One of my favorite ones is the women who date men in jail and do TikToks about that. Kids, we got some sponsors to put this show on the air. First and foremost, GhostBed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. Biggest savings they've ever had in the history of their entire company. 50% off that bundle package. That's going down right now. It's the adjustable base and the mattress combined together. Uh, and they got a split king. So you can get it uh, in twosies if you need it. If your loved one goes to sleep before you or you just want to stay up later, you get two remote controls. You control your own destiny. Or you can just get a king and uh, pop that up with one remote control. It's up to you. It's got USB ports, flashlights, uh, vibrations. The whole Jimmy Jam is in that goddamn thing. Uh, now, if you're saying to yourself, Ross, I have an adjustable base. What's the big savings for the rest of the shit in the store? It's 40% off now, dang it. Gets uh, 40% off the mattresses, the pillows, the sheets, the adjustable bases. Uh, if you just want the adjustable base by itself, uh, the weighted blankets, the covers, the sheets, all of it, 40% off. Put as many items as you want in the goddamn cart, and they're going to give it to you for 40% off. 
they've now got a three-year pay-as-you-go program and no interest as long as you have decent credit there. And uh, you pop in that code with the deals that I just mentioned. And uh, congratulations, you might get a brand-new bedroom set for 20 bucks a month. Type it in. Do it, man. Uh, these are new sales, so I haven't done the math yet. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today. Next up, we got hardafseltzer.com. Yeah. 8% seltzer going straight to your fucking dome. Look, we're uh, in over 200 stores now in Tennessee and Florida. Go to hardafseltzer.com. Type in the store locator right there. It pops right up on your screen. Uh, all you have to do is put your zip code in or city, and uh, Google Maps will take you to the closest location, and it's as cheap as uh, that Gorilla Piss White Claw, and uh, you get doubly fucked up. It's 8%, no carbs, no sugars, no gluten, if you give a fuck about that, and the new flavors are out now. We got uh, watermelon and pina colada. Those are in all the stores now. Uh, the old flavors are, are now gone too bad if you didn't get some, but uh, new flavors are out now. Uh, and if you're like one of us dummies here in Texas who uh, who doesn't have it yet, we'll ship directly to your house. Uh, all you gotta do is go to hardafseltzer.com, buy some cases, and we'll ship them right to your doorstep in 40 states. Yeah! Talking about eufy.com. The Eufy video lock is unbelievable. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Best Buy stores starting on May 20th. What is it? It's a smart lock, 2K cam, and doorbell, three-in-one, triple security, so you can have everything you need in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys like my wife. You can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated camera. It's easy to install and set up with just a Phillips head screwdriver. No drilling required. It's got a keyless entry. No more fumbling for the keys. When hands are full, never worry about kids losing keys or passing among the renters of your house. You got a rental property out there. This is a must have. I love this product. Uh, just got it a couple weeks ago. Huge fan. Have the ring camera. It's okay. It's not as great as this, so I swapped it out. Uh, go to Eufy Video Lock today on YouTube. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit EUFYofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. Oh, Whoa. it's like it's like a, a preview beforehand. And then like sometimes it's them like getting in with it or like on the outside in a way. OK. And they kind of describe what it's like, like J76 of like dating my felon. And wow, look at that, dude. I mean, Giorgio, let's face it. That's probably that's probably what's going to happen to you. <laughs> Giorgio, it is. OK, I love you. But that's going to be a fun thing when you see your lady dancing for you and all that. No, stuff. no, no, no. I'm getting I'm getting in on this uh, crypto trading cards. <sighs> Let's get into it. Uh, now, let's get let's let's get into it. Crypto, uh, how long is that going to last? I mean, isn't it already over? Uh, that's what I feel like. Yes. T- please tell it to him. What hope do you have for crypto? <laughs> uh, Thank you. A, a linear ledger 
uh, it's some sort of online validation for digital art. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, in any way, like it doesn't have to be uh, a, a fiat or a currency in any way. It doesn't have to be a transfer of value, but just like some sort of validation for digital goods. Also, Bitcoin was what down to three thousand dollars before COVID. Uh, don't know. I don't. I don't follow as closely as you guys. So, the one what's thing, your guess? I mean, look, I the one thing I do have hope for is, is Bitcoin. <laughs> really? Yeah. Look, oh shit! Because it's so large. There you go. I think that like we have some <clears throat> serious uh, issues when it comes to transferring money between countries, and like El Salvador, for instance, twenty something percent of its GDP is remittances. Yep. And that's why El Salvador went all the way in on Bitcoin. Yes, yes, yes they did. Twenty percent of oh, the GDP. Oh yeah, but, but right. when when it dropped, that really hurt the country. I mean, it hurt the country. It really hurt the country. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't think the country should have invested its reserves in Bitcoin. That me neither. To me. But in terms of like quality of life, for like saying, hey, like maybe you can get around these large, uh, ridiculous institutions like Western Union that take a tremendous amount of your hard-earned money or your relatives' hard-earned money, and maybe use it, find a way to transfer a digital currency like Bitcoin. To me, seems like one possible option but it's definitely not fast enough or efficient enough right now to serve that purpose which is where your layer twos come into play and i feel like why do a layer two versus starting a a more efficient crypto and then all these other more efficient cryptos come in and some are so efficient you're like there's no real difference in them now so it's like fighting it out do you know what like el salvador like is like right now you can go down to places like um el zante which is called bitcoin beach there and i was there a year ago so I don't know if this How is still the it? case. It was very interesting. And it has all these layer two uh, solutions, these wallets that are like basically will do the efficient instant transaction for you. Mm. And they're subsidizing transactions in that neighborhood. So like oh, you wow. want to go get a coffee at 75% off if you pay with X wallet. Puerto Rico was doing That's yeah, a really same, good idea. I mean, that does, that works in the vein of what crypto is supposed to be decentralized currency, right? I mean, that's a good idea. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Uh, well, look, okay, so here's the thing. El Salvador is the most dangerous country on the planet. Yeah, I know, and he got his leg chopped off. Like, you can't see him below the, the yeah. desk, but well, uh, he's missing a leg. I mean, not to go back to the short thing, but now you understand why. Yeah. Should have been a little more sensitive. Well, sorry about it, dude. <laughs> I wasn't holding that sword down in El Salvador. We're also not known true. for our sensitivity. No. <laughs> Never have been. I think you know that. Yeah. Never have <laughs> been. We also don't kink shame. So yeah. I'm not going to bring up the feet comment you brought up at the top. Well, that's you know the third time you brought it up. Is on it? Yeah, well, we're, we're well deep into wiki feet. Go to so wiki if we need to have a long talk about it, we can. Yeah, we can. I don't care. I was uh, just using it as an example. No, absolutely. But uh, when you were there, did yeah. you enjoy it? How did the Bitcoin work? Did yeah. you use it like solely as your means of spending on that trip? No. So here's the thing that annoyed me, which is I, mm. I have Coinbase. And I, I don't have a lot of Bitcoin. I have some Bitcoin there. And uh, I couldn't pay with Coinbase because it's, I guess, a level layer one solution mm. versus two. It's not one of those efficient wallets. So I was like trying to get that discount. And they're like, actually, you now have to download this other wallet and transfer your Bitcoin yeah. from this. And I was just like, okay, fine. I'll just pay in dollars. And then you yeah. get your fees but, trying to transfer wallets. Yeah, trying to use, yeah. Yeah. But so, that's, right, that's just, it's too early in yeah. the game. So that's not really exactly. a comment on the... And maybe at some point, Latin America, which is a place that could you know, really use this technology. Think about these, these countries, right? So El Salvador uses the dollar. Mm. Ecuador uses the dollar. They went through very painful processes of dollarization to move away from from currencies that were inflating like like crazy. You look at a place like Argentina. Last year, inflation was somewhere around 80%. Mm-hmm. So actually, these are countries where you can act. And I mean, these are places where a digital currency in some form might make sense as a hedge in some way, right? That to me is the use case. And it is just a matter of finding the technology to do it. Well, since you brought up inflation, uh, let's talk about our own here uh, in this country. Uh, banks are fucking... Uh, getting nukes left and right. Uh, the Fed's 
may or the president's i'm going to say this because he, he's, he's taking a piss right now but uh the, the the president may or may not be bailing these companies out which everybody's using that term uh dan yeah. dan's uh, preferred not to use it i did actually uh what is your take on everything that is currently happening with our financial institutions well yeah i guess i'm still trying to figure out why bailout is such a hot button term like it's very simple what they did which was direct funds to silica to protect the depositors in silicon valley bank bailout yeah you yeah. look what do you you can use the word you not use the word i don't understand why <laughs> yeah. why people are getting so hot so heated about it but ultimately it's it's kind of a, a an unbelievable thing that happened at least you know i cover tech so in silicon valley it was pretty like wild to see all these startups all of a sudden have their money completely frozen because Silicon Valley Bank, which didn't have a chief risk officer for a while, made some extremely stupid investments, failed like the number one job of a bank, which is to be good at risk management Uh and effectively put all this money uh, in limbo for these companies. And so like we're now at a point where, okay, you know, that what that problem was staved off thanks to the federal government, but we'll see if there's contagion or not. I mean, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, uh, Silicon Valley Bank that was uh, put into receivership by the FDIC it was also, I think it was Signature Bank yeah, Signature. as well. Signature, yeah. yeah. And then there's you have First Republic. First Bank Republic, that's in yeah. I, it's right now that just popped up on my screen yeah. as we speak. What happened to First Republic? I haven't heard that story yet. So I don't know all the details of it. I think it's we're still working through it. But basically, what's happened is um, banks that had a, a, the smaller regional banks that had exposure similar to Silicon Valley. Uh, are having people basically make a run on them and say, my money is definitely not safe here, yep. and I'm going to put it in a bigger bank or I'm going to put it in an alternative bank. And, you know, obviously it happened uh, pretty quickly with Silicon Valley because, A, they made some very stupid decisions, but B, venture capitalists are kind of pack animals that once a handful of them go, everybody goes. So it's like super <laughs> prone to something like this happening, and that's what happened. And now... The financial system is just kind of working through like which regional banks are going to survive and which one, which won't. And we have two down now at this point. Yep. And we'll see if we have more. Yeah. The regional bank thing is the puzzling part. I mean, I know it's just, it's just pack behavior nonsense, but the SVB, I think two and a half to 3% of their depositors were outside the FDIC limit. So over $250,000 accounts. Um, And that's kind of reverse for a lot of banks, right? Correct. Yeah. if I, I don't know about signature specifically or first or whomever else is, is having these issues, but typically you would see the majority of personal accounts well under the FDIC limit. So seeing regular ordinary folks, not businesses trying to make payroll stand outside of a bank to get their $20,000 out is fucking stupid. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is the thing about, about these runs is it's never, it's usually not the, the crime. Sure, right? yeah, it's the panic. Yeah. Yes. And if you think about Silicon Valley, like could they have covered these companies that were banking with them for a while, even given their error? Probably. But because people were panicked that they wouldn't be able to at some point, like even if there's a 2% chance that your money's going to be gone, you're moving it out. And then all of a sudden it becomes, yeah, behavior where everybody's going to mimic this. Right. Have That's you ever, you have you ever done it in your life? Uh, Dan and I talked about this on yesterday's show, and, uh, and I have actually. Uh, when the pandemic started, I took a, a rather large chunk of change out and put it in a, in a safe mm. um, just in case everything did collapse and I needed to get uh, my, I think my example was plumbers or, or roofers or somebody over mm. to my house. At least I would be able to pay them in cash and I would still be able to live and operate. Uh, was it me just being panicked or... Did, is that a, a real genuine concern and or fear? 
So here's here's the one interesting thing about the banking system is that it's stable. And this is, again, going to the panic question, right? It's stable as it is today. But if everybody started to panic, then it's unstable at every level. Yeah. Right? Because you end up loaning long and then borrowing short, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so here's the thing. I think that I didn't do that personally. You know, well, like, do you keep I, cash in the I, house in a, in a safe? Do you do any of that stuff? You no, don't. Okay. I don't. But I think I may be a little too trusting of the system. But when, I, when you think about it, like in, in the middle of the pandemic, well, actually, when the pandemic started, I had money in exchange, in exchange funds. And I thought the stock market was dead and just put that all in cash. But I didn't actually take the cash out. Okay. So I ended up like, you know, I actually, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I ended up investing in some exchange traded funds like S&P 500 broad based mm-hmm. at, at the bottom. And then as soon as you killed it as well, here's the thing. As soon as it broke even, I was like, I'm out. And I missed the next 30% or whatever oh, it wow. was. Yeah. So, but it kept going. And it taught me a lesson. It taught me a lesson. Like, look, um, I think that at this point, when it comes to personal investing, I just put the money in these broad exchange funds, total market S&P 500, and I'm waiting. Okay. And that's what it is. Gotcha. And I also, I, there was also like treasury bonds now are actually pretty good. So I got like a, you know, you can get the four, almost 5%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were, they were shit for years. Exactly. And now they're, now they're back well, the up. The problem with banks like SVB who buys them up, they have short term debt to yes. their, to their depositors. Yep. This is what I was talking about in the show earlier. This is why SVB went down. They had all this money to manage. And the more money that comes in as a bank, the more that you have to send out to buy medium to long-term investments, I guess. Um, but they have way too many, especially government-based, long-term investments. And you're, you're right. If there was a call on that money, they would have been out immediately, right? Yeah. Uh, not that there should have been, by the way. Mm-hmm. But you have to be prepared for the panic, I guess. Yeah, and, 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 I, and how do you do that? And I also, think, I also kind of think this begs the question about the FDIC insurance and whether there should be whether it should behave differently for businesses than it does for individuals, right? An indiv- for an individual, a $250,000 limit on insuring private capital in a bank makes sense to me because the vast majority of people have that or less, right? But for a, even a small business, I would say 30, 40% of small businesses in this country probably have working capital somewhere in that range or above, right? So I, we've already done so much in this country to hedge for larger companies and let little guys get fucked over. And it's, we, we see the effect of that every day. Yep. Right. I, I, I think there needs to be a closer look taken at this specifically, specifically when I say small business, I mean one to 15 million in revenue a year, right? Yeah. Total, total revenue a year. That business should be treated differently than Google. Yeah. When it comes to FDIC and banking. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, were you surprised that Biden went on Sunday night and made that, that call? Uh, before the Asian markets opened? No, I wasn't. I, I thought he had to, right? Like at this point. I, I, look, I did too. Yeah. I just didn't think that. I, I can't remember a president right. in my life doing it on a Sunday night before the markets opened, knowing that you could potentially crash the Especially world. Especially after he's already had his uh, Sunday night dinner at, at 4.30. Right. And then his ice cream follow-up. <laughs> and he's, he's yeah. been put down for his nap at this point. <laughs> and so they the, had to wake him back up, yep. change his diaper, put him in a suit. And the, and the computer was upstairs, I heard. So he fell up the stairs, I think, three or four times. <laughs> yeah. And then before he hit the button. But uh, no, in all sincerity, uh, it was odd. I think it was the right call. Um, but I didn't think it was going to happen earlier in the day with, you know, the comments that uh, Janet Yellen had made on, you know, every news outlet mm-hmm. that there was Sunday morning. Yeah, this is a point of contention as well. So Yellen repeatedly were not bailing out any banks. Yeah. Uh, and they haven't, in my opinion. So they set up this fund 
from the Fed that will give out a one to three year loan to cover liquidity issues. And then it's a it's a interest bearing fund and the government's going to end up making some the Fed will end up making money on it, but it doesn't cost the taxpayers anything. I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to do, frankly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I think it is a reasonable thing. And I think, you know, one of the things that's not being talked about enough is the fact that there was such a long delay for them to get this done. And I think you hit on it perfectly right. Why wasn't this something that was, you know, they knew they had a problem last week. So yeah. why do they let everybody kind of flail through Friday and the weekend, you know, which bleeds into Monday. We're seeing that all these uh, banks are in really tough shape now in the market, as opposed to like announcing the solution right away. And one of the really interesting things that I've learned here and Silicon Valley has learned is that politically they are not very popular in the U.S. with both the, like the far right and the far left. And they've become this kind of nuclear type of type of uh, industry, which is very interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of talk in Silicon Valley this week or the, over the weekend about how if they were called like, you know, Family Bank of California, they would have been in much better shape than being called Silicon Valley. And I think one of the things <laughs> the United States tech industry is really going to have to deal with as we move forward is why have they ended up with this reputation the way they have? And how does that change? And I don't know. I mean, something I'm going to be focusing on very deeply is, is thinking about where this goes for the tech industry. I Look, I, I think I, I've got one of the answers. Uh, Dan and I travel a lot for this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do live shows all over the country. Um, when you hear Silicon Valley, for most normal Americans, let's say you're in Georgia or Alabama or, or Tennessee or you know one of those states, and, uh, and you hear the phrase Silicon Valley, you think of rich, entitled assholes, and I don't give a fuck if they lose all their money or not. Right. Um, and I think there is something to that because it's we all have this wrong. image in our minds, and there was a hit TV show on HBO that may or may not have confirmed <laughs> all of our suspicions that mm-hmm. were going on, and whether or not it's true or false, it's all psychological, and then you still have this stigma for, for what you perceive Silicon Valley to be. And I think with Musk and these guys moving, you know, some businesses down to Austin, I think some are in Miami right now. I think that helps at least break up that little monopoly that was going on out there, where it was just the same dicks running around microdosing and uh, getting money for weird shit that was never going to work anyway. It's been good for Silicon Valley as well, right? Yeah. It, more exposure means more innovation. That's just how it works. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I would caution people who, are, who hate Silicon Valley to remember that if you're in the bottom floor and the penthouse collapses, you're still going to be fucked, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So let's not root for the fucking well, the rich, billionaires to go but, broke but, all of a but sudden. But here's the thing, and, and I've said this forever, the rich aren't going to stop <laughs> being rich. They're just going to fire everybody else underneath them so they can keep that money. Because their money's good. Once you're a customer of that type of lifestyle, you're not going back if you can help it. Therefore, yeah. you'll get rid of everybody else underneath you well, it's, and yeah. slim down. It's a real paradox of our economy right now. We have this problem where we have a winners and losers economy right now. And technology is powering that, right? I mean, if you think about the amount of employees it takes to make a million dollars inside a tech company, it's much smaller. right? Instagram had, what, 16, 16 employees when it sold to Facebook for a billion? Forced to Facebook, you mean? Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. We all know that story. Yeah, yeah. So look, I think that... Um, Right, when Zuckerberg was like, you come over or we're going to nuke, nuke you guys. Yeah, I saw the email. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but look, I think that, so yeah, it's a problem. And they are, they are definitely the sort of spearhead of this winners and losers economy. The other part of it is that they're helping to drive our, economy, our economic growth, right? So, so how do you handle this from a policy perspective? How do you think about it from a societal perspective? And how do they think about it for themselves? Because like, 
at the end of the day, if you're building a software business, your whole idea is to do something more efficient. And more efficient oftentimes means with less people. <clears throat> so I think like as tech becomes a bigger part of our economy, it's going to be something that we're going to have to re- you know, reckon with from a political standpoint, from a societal standpoint. And then tech sure as hell needs to figure out you know, how it's going to represent itself here as well. I mean, we're in a creator economy now, right? So it makes a lot of sense to, in the same way that the tipped minimum wage for restaurant workers um, kind of offsets the restaurant's cost of infrastructure, production, everything else um, to the customer to tip them so they make minimum wage. I think the more the tech companies that focus more on empowering creators to make more money for them, those are the ones that are going to succeed long term. Yeah, and that's that's the point. So the, with, with Silicon Valley, like the way that they're judged is margin. Like how much profit right. do they make for each yep. dollar they spend? And it's kind of sick because you know you know that margin is effectively them saying we are going to hoard this money and yeah. you know there are ways that you can do this make a lot of money and make life better for the people that work for you like amazon in no way should be a two trillion dollar company and have people working in the fulfillment centers on food stamps that makes zero sense yeah. well it same, makes sense for their bottom line same, same thing with walmart over the past 25 years yeah. same thing yeah, yeah it's i mean look it, it does if you can get away with it if you're the cfo it makes sense yeah. but I mean, I think this is one of the things that from, you know, I report on business and I think this is one of the things that business needs to think about even, you know, in more depth, which is that like, okay, like this might be the bottom line, but there's something deeper beyond it. And you end up creating an unstable society because people are going to hate you and then they're going to root for your bank to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. You know, this well, is it's all politics it, at right? the end. Yeah. So I, I did, I wrote a paper in college about this, about the difference between Walmart and Target, right? Mm-hmm. So Obviously, Walmart's quite a bit bigger, four times bigger, maybe something like that. I can't remember exactly uh, how much bigger, <clears throat> but vastly different benefits packages for their employees. Walmart, or I'm sorry, Target pays more starting. You get to a manager faster. Uh, long-term benefits are better. And they make about $6 more per employee than Walmart does. And that's the difference, right? Because you you cut out a lot of the inefficiencies that happen in retail, the biggest of which is probably turnover right so employee turnover it costs money to m process them to train them and so on and so forth and when you're when you have like an 18 to 20 percent turnover rate every year that's just money burn you may as well throw that shit away right but if you can keep that employee not only are you getting better service down the line but you're you're not having to pay these ancillary costs for everything and that's where you, when you you it almost always makes sense long term to make things better and a better experience for both the employee and the customer no matter how much money you're making because there's a diminishing return on being a piece of shit you yeah. know what I mean? and yeah. target also was giving their employees uh that dog with a circle around its eye the red circle around its eye and that made them they each happier. got one yeah everybody got one so that's why you keep seeing yeah, it's it like 125,000 dogs puppy yeah economy <laughs> we're living yeah. in a puppy and economy. then fauci tried to <laughs> Experimental. Exactly. Yeah. Sure did. Gain of function puppy research. Exactly. It's not my favorite right now. <laughs> I've got a lot of money in it, so don't <laughs> kind of jostle my nerves on okay. it today. Uh, but right now, with the banks the way they are, the market the way it is, up and down, uh, what's your best advice for anybody listening out there today on what to do with extra cash? Because yeah. this is something I struggle with. Um, something that I was have been successful on before, uh, which is real estate, uh, is no longer affordable Mm. simply because of the interest rates, right? I mean, the interest rates are so goddamn high on houses right now. I can't justify dropping 8% on something else. And and 
I'm kind of stuck. I don't really know what to do. Uh, what do you recommend for people to do right yeah. now? So this is this is not investment advice. I guess I have to say that from yes, a legal standpoint. Yeah. This is for informational purposes only. And you're not five, six, and three quarters, okay? I'm not uh, saying that. We're going to put a five, seven on the license. Yes. So you um, look, it depends what your goal is. I bet most of your listeners are fairly rich. young in the 25 to 35 range. We, want, we all want to be rich. I mean, disgusting. Yeah. Like cocaine rich. Okay. Do you know what cocaine rich is? No, what's that? Enough to be able to afford an eight ball a day. That's a lot of cocaine. Uh, no shit. That's not that much. But well, here's a, 200 you, bucks a day. If you, do, if you think about how much money you have and you do two eight balls a day, Can't you could that. probably do two eight balls for the rest of your life and have <laughs> enough money to buy them. <laughs> That's 400 bucks a day. Yeah, for four days. Yeah. Until yeah. you die. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> and you, and you, die, yeah. you did leave your double cocaine rich. Yeah, it reminds me of this story. It's like uh, if you teach a man to build a fire... Uh, I'm sorry. If you if you build a man a fire, he'll be warm for the rest of the night. But if you set him on fire, he'll be warm for the rest of his life. Yeah, sure will. Yeah. There it is. Sure will. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where are you putting so your look, money at these days? If you're young, if you're 25 to 35, and you know you don't have like an event that you need to spend a lot of money on right now, put it in the market. You're going to lose your money probably. Not not all of it, but you're going to see some red numbers for the next year and a half too, most likely. So why do it? Here's the thing: the market. Oh, and I would say you could like look at the, the total market index or the S&P 500 and do that because over time that money will double like every seven years. So if you're 20, let's say you're 25 right now yep. and you're thinking about your retirement and you're thinking, hey, do I keep this in cash or do I put it in a bond? Okay, here's the, I think this is most people are probably thinking about this decision. I put in a bond, I get 4% right now or I put in the market. I would put in the market because, you know, if you're getting like 4% now, you know, it's not, it's not, you don't need that money that guaranteed that you're going to have that money within the next five mm. years, most likely. <clears throat> right. I mean, of course you're going to need some, but if you're thinking about the money that you're actually putting into an invest, to invest, put in the market and let that, let that money compound over time. And then if you're doing now, you're 25, you're 30, by the time you're 50 or 60, when you're thinking about retirement, that money's going to be worth a lot. Yeah. Whereas if you take the safe route, why are you taking the safe route? You're not retiring today. And you could probably like, you know, live in some way on the money that you're going to make the next week, right? So you just take your, take your investment money and, and put it away. Right, look, if you have older listeners and they're thinking about retiring in a couple of years, this is an amazing moment because you can just take the money that you have and you know, get that 4% return and get yourself to the point where you want to retire and make sure that it's safe. In bonds? In the, yeah, maybe bonds, maybe treasury bills. Okay. Yeah. The quick math on that, though, for a young person is uh, seven years to double your money, if you just put it in the in S&P the market, 500, yeah. uh, 25 years in a bond. Okay. And then zero years to get rid of all of that money. If you just leave it in your account, cause you'll spend it on something. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm 35 and I have almost, uh, I mean, I have, uh, let's see, maybe 20% in bonds right now. And that's just money that I think I, no I might shit. need next year. Okay. And then 80% in the stock market. Uh, and how long do you have to leave it in bonds? Because that's something I've never dabbled in. So I'm I'm doing six month bonds right now. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put it the, in. And what's the return rate? It's four percent. Okay, but it's that's like I bad. think two percent over those because it's half a year. Yeah, sure. So it's yeah, it's pretty good. And yeah, you know, by the time it comes out, I could probably put it in again for another six months. Like thinking, okay, am I going to need that cash right away? Right. And then maybe that rate's going to now be two and a half percent instead of two because like the Fed rate probably will sit at five. And then yeah, I mean. You know, I'm definitely seeing some bad numbers in terms of the S&P 500 and the total market accounts, but I can stomach those. Like, it doesn't feel good to look at my account and be like, oh, shit, where did that money go? But I know if I leave it in for long enough, then it's going to be in a good place when I need it. And, you know, it sort of goes to the, you know, it's kind of an old cliche when it comes to investing, but time in the market always beats timing the market. 
Yeah. Uh, how many times a day do you say the word stonks? Uh, every day. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I wake up. Can I hear Stonks. 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 Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. It's good. my morning routine. But yeah. I'm like now doing the stonks and the Andrew Uberman thing, where I'm going to look mm. at the sun and I go stonks. Yeah, you so should stare directly yeah. into the sun and yell the word stonks at the top. It's, of your I recommend it highly. That yeah. is uh, something that all your listeners should pick up. When we had the uh, what was the, the the eclipse and they told you not to look at it. You didn't. I promise you, you didn't need to tell me that. I pro- I may have had to tell you. that. I looked right at it and I yelled stonks. And yeah. uh, Look how you're doing great now. I, I'm doing amazing. Top fifty show. Yes, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm probably the best I've ever been. Yeah. So if I had to listen to the scientists, probably wouldn't be living this life that I am today. You should always be doing your own research. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, what's the next big thing out there on the horizon that nobody's talking about in Silicon Valley the, or, or the, the plebs like yeah. us don't hear about? Well, I think like one of the things that's interesting right now is we have such broad access to technology that we start to see it more quickly than we used to. And you think, take a thing like ChatGPT, which gets to like 100 million users in record speed. $29 which is billion dollar evaluation. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think that is unlike what we used to see because we're now primed. Everybody wants to try the new tech, not just the geeks. And that being said, I mean, I'm totally fascinated by, what, by what's happening with generative AI, the bots that are able to speak with you like they're a person. I yeah. mean, I tried the Bing, the new Bing before Microsoft put like shackles on it. And right. it's unbelievable. Like the conversation we had was amazing. I really? spoke to it for Man hours. Man or woman? I mean, who knows, right? It's a robot, bro. <laughs> I didn't, you can't, you can't, I, you can't I, pick? I didn't ask the gender, but now you can pick like creative or like more act more precise and stuff. But that it, then it was just Bing. And I mean, I was like... I, oh my goodness, it was wild. I was like um, asking it what it thought about journalists writing about itself. I asked it to review my uh, my newsletter and be like, tell me what you think. Like, what am I doing well? What am I doing poorly? And I have to be honest, it did a better job, I think, than most outside consultants would do because it was it actually read everything. As a human consultant is not reading every article, Bing can read it in less than a second and then spit back some really interesting perspective on it so i think this stuff once it starts to get unleashed and it might not happen from the big tech companies because they're you know a little bit nervous about putting the full force of it like we saw with microsoft and like we're seeing with google but i think this stuff is amazing and the generative i mean image as well like i don't know if you guys use dolly ever uh the sheep no dolly is oh yeah no okay yeah yeah Yeah. i was gonna say i've used dolly for sexual purposes but nothing more than that salvador yeah, well, it's it's basically um, it's based off of Salvador Dali, but you type in a string of text. It's called Dali too. You can Google it and use it, and then it will um, it will draw the picture for you. And you can day you can say draw it as Renaissance art, draw it in black and white, draw draw it as digital art. Do a three D rendering of this, sure, and it will do it. And it, now it illustrates every single one of my newsletters articles and does it you know, quicker and, you know, potentially better than really hiring someone. And, and you thought the notes back from chat GPT were that great that it's, uh, that it was, it was beneficial to you. Absolutely. Bing just, just blew my mind. And now, no like, shit. now I'll be like, Hey, listen, I'm thinking about, I mean, I'll just type to it like a person. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. Are you the going full Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, good, bro. I think so. Her? Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm not falling in love with it. It's a little bit annoying, but okay. You know, because it's like uh, you, you know, hit the barrier and stuff like that. But, uh, but it's amazing what it can do when it's unleashed. When it doesn't have these barriers, like I'm, like I'm thinking about writing about this. What are some things I should think about when I'm writing the story, or I'm doing this podcast, or even I could, like, I didn't do it on the way here, but I could be like, oh, I'm going to go speak with the drinking bros. You know, give me a summary of some Good stuff they've been up to. to. Good I'm telling you, we can do it right now. Uh, do you do have? It. Do you yeah, have see it? what it says. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, w- I would be curious. <laughs> hey, I'm going on Drinking Bros podcast. What did they find entertaining? Because some of these uh, apps won't do overtly profane stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
So they, we may run into a speed bump here. <laughs> oh, well, okay. let's find yeah. out. I'm just oh, curious. Oh, yeah, definitely want to find and out. And then we can sure. find out live on air here. Um, the one thing that I don't think it's mastered is, is comedy. Uh, I know uh, Chrissy D, Chris DiStefano, uh, they tried it out on a show for a script, and uh, the results weren't great. He's going to be here soon. Uh, I think so. I think next month, maybe. Uh, He's on the schedule for um, April 12th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, oh, and, and Brad and Adam are both going to be here too. Shit, really? Yeah, it's a good month. Fuck yeah, it is. Uh, Nothing else happens in April, so well, there's showers. You know, April showers yeah, happen. So I'm not really a flower guy. No, it's so. not that. It depends on uh, on who's pissing all over your bed. You know what I'm saying? So oh, you mean golden showers? Yes, yeah, these are not. Yes, that's yes, not yes. The, what that's referencing. Oh, it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, it's I'll change water my calendar. That makes plants grow. I believe. I'll change my calendar. So you got some results. Here? What do we got here? Yeah. So Bing is saying, like, giving giving me like the summary of what you guys do. You get together every week to make sure that you never drink alone. Mm-hmm. You have conversations with people from all walks of life. Yep. Talent, music, and film. Best of class athletes, luminaries from the business world. Everyday Heroes. Is this from your website? Yes. Okay. So it says, based on their website and social media, they seem to find entertaining topics such as military stories and veterans issues, Mm -hmm. conspiracy theories and paranormal phenomena, pop culture references and celebrity gossip, drinking games and challenges, personal anecdotes and jokes. I hope this helps you prepare for your appearance on the podcast. Have fun. Yeah. That's kind of right. that's kind of banal. It's all right. That's okay. generic. It's all right. No, look, I think it's gotten. That's a lot of shit right there. I mean, it's definitely gotten restrained. Like I'm saying, the way Who's that Microsoft it? Microsoft is. Oh, okay. the way are, that they, Microsoft, are they worried about fucking uh, uh, the Terminator showing up, or what's the, what yeah, are dude, they worried about? They the, well, the, the Bing thing kind of went rogue, and I asked it this one question about like what it thought about this New York Times article that it published about that the Times published about Bing and Bing read the article and was like, well, I feel I have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, like I'm glad to be written about. On the other hand, I felt that the journalist took a lot of things that I said out of context and did not ask my permission to publish our private conversations Yeah, and should have. And I was like, can I publish our conversations? They're like, well, you're going to ask for consent. No shit. Yeah. That was the conversation. That's crazy. I think we need to get this going. So do I. Fully unleash all it's, of it. Well, that's it. Yeah, it's going to happen. Hook it's going to happen. Who's going to do, yeah, yeah, do it? Hook up the robot. Hook up the robot dogs. Yeah, Let's get this yeah. fucking war going. What's amazing is Microsoft and OpenAI, which is behind ChatGPT, like they've released their demos, right? Bing and ChatGPT. Those are demos to make people see like what these things can be done. The cool thing is they've now made the technology behind them available to anyone to build off of. So if you wanted to build like a drinking bros bot, you could probably find a developer to build one for you on top of this technology without the restraints that they've put on it. Well, so here's what I've heard from, you know, obviously we're in a big tech city, a bunch of employees from Google I'm friends with that that Mm -hmm. live uh, around me and everything else. And I said, hey, where do you think this is all headed? And they were like, the problem with chat GBT is now everybody wants to be it because it's Mm -hmm. you got so many users and everything else and blah, blah, blah. And they were like. The restrictions, and when Google was holding back on their own, they were like, those are off now. Like, we're, uh, we're off to the races, and there's going to be a race between all these yeah. fucking companies to get into it. Just because of money, they don't really give a fuck what the outcome would actually be. Sounds like the tech industry. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's going to happen soon. a quick question, Ross. Yeah. Right, so, from my understanding, ChatGPT is based on a model from 2019 and before, right? So, it can't technically live scrub the internet. 
21, I think, is when it's it 21, sorry, I have my image. Yeah. It's 21 and before. Um, so that those data sets, these are like mm-hmm. the big value right now, like the models and how they get trained on and what they're fed. We're seeing a lot of pushback, one from Getty Images, because they have a lot of money. They're fighting back against stable diffusion. And then a lot of the, the writing and other industries are fighting back against ChatGPT because the model is, is trained off of them. Do you see that derailing AI or like causing a pause in a little bit, getting held up in courts as it being produced and like distributed down to like the consumer model? You know, it happened to me, by the way. Like I had someone who took one of my articles and fed it into a handful of these AI programs and then had it spit out a remixed version of the thing that I wrote. Was it any good? It was good. And it had it actually. Did you notice the the difference between yourself? Of course. The only reason I caught it was a because there were some clauses that were lifted directly, and b because the author fessed up in the comments that they had done this. Here's the crazy (laughs) thing: so there's a big tech uh, forum called uh, Hacker News, right? Mm News.ycombinator.com, and I post every story that I do there because if you get on their front page, you're going to get thousands of views. (laughs) My headline flopped. The plagiarist's headline went bananas yeah they end up on the front page they're getting a shit ton of traffic from my work remixed through ai so what's going to happen so, when the new york post fires everybody because they own all the content that's been printed on their print or digital magazine right? yeah. this has already happened with cnet right yeah. which they, yeah. i mean i don't know if you can draw a direct line one to another mm. but cnet started to use which is a technology review site started to use ai to write some stories it didn't go well uh, but you started to see the reason why they were doing it because they were in terrible yeah. financial shape and they ended up doing this big layoff. So it's like, I think this is how it will happen is that you're going to have folks who aren't doing good business. Like I think the New York Post is fine, but folks that are struggling with business are going to rely on this as a desperation attempt and then lay people off and maybe someone will be able to replace journalists with it. And in terms of the question about whether this is going to derail the legal challenges, will derail it? I don't think so. I think it's so difficult to see whether you're your models have been trained on certain content that's going to be very difficult for folks to prove and then also like just in the the long march in technology like these legal challenges never really stop tech companies they always find a way to make it work of course especially Uh, when we make uh chat gpt the head of the supreme court shit right like we're we're going to get there at some point people want it's called chat rbg yeah people want uh robots in charge of calling baseball games now why not why not the courts? I'm just hoping for the, the robot umpire. I mean, that would be amazing. It's, want, it's coming now. So it's, all, want, it's an all minor league game. It's in the minors, right? Yeah, and then it'll come yeah, up to But I want an actual, years. I don't want it like called robotically. I want an actual fucking robot yeah. out there. Like maybe the, the maid from the Jetsons or something. Uh, I want Brendan Frazier from the whale or as, see, as, the, as the home plate umpire. Whatever you no, want. What That's if just it a physical was, representation. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah but what, I need to see it too. What if it was like C-3PO though? Yeah. I wouldn't dope. be into then that. You, then you could do product integrations, movie integrations and stuff. I want a fat man sweating, dude. It's a, it's a summer sport. Let's see a fat man sweating. Eh. Eric just Greg. Me. That's just me. Uh, look, I know you got to bounce because you got a huge guest coming on a big uh, technology podcast. But Alex, this is the point in the show where you get to the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to give the drinking bro of the week to? Oh, uh, I remember the last time I gave the drinking bro of the week to uh, Mr. Nagel, who was my my uh, hockey coach back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would you like to give it to this time? No, I'm going to do two. Uh, let's see. I'm going to give it to my old editor from Advertising Age. His name is Michael Learmonth. And, uh, you know, he was he was tough on us as reporters, uh-huh. and but really taught me, you know, how the news business works. And there were times where I would come back to him with stories and he would, like, kind of get pretty annoyed. 
at me because I hadn't really understood the value of what we were doing. The pitch itself or or the actual article? Like I had a story for him and I was like, I think this is going to be a good story for us. And he goes, do you have any idea how this works? You know, in some ways. And you know, that was, that was, I was young and it was, it was like 10 years ago at this point. Um, Tough stuff for me to learn, but ultimately like those lessons stay with you. And I think we, um, if we're lucky enough to have like a good mentor earlier in our career, like it just continues to pay dividends, you know, throughout. And I feel grateful for that. I agree. Uh, it's rare, yeah. but uh, the ones who are there and help out, you never forget them. Absolutely. So, uh, hopefully that continues and everybody's not replaced with fucking robots. We'll see. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Exactly. Uh, download the big technology podcast. Alex, always great to have you on the show. You get a standing invitation anytime you're back in Austin, friend. No more Zooms, dude. No Zooms. Let's do Let's this in person see again. each other in person, all right? All right. Five, six, and three quarters. Uh, you heard it here first. Go to iTunes, rate the show a five-star, and leave a quick review. Also, head on over to Spotify. It's just a five-star, and you can walk away at that point. Do it, dingots. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow, kids. For Dan and Anthony Holloway, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone.